Romans chapter 5 this morning as you deduced from our reading. Romans chapter 5. It seems like forever ago, I guess it was what, 2008, that uh, um, a relatively unknown senator from Illinois mounted a presidential campaign and he built it around one word. Does anybody remember that word? It wasn't change. That was one of the words, but the, the big word that he, he had a lot of. You remember, anybody remember that? Hope. Hope. Evidently, it resonated with a lot of people because he won by a landslide. And, um, you know, some would argue the opponent, the candidate that ran against him was a weaker candidate. I, I don't know. I just think the country was in a place in which that word hope said a lot to them. Here's the problem. The normal pedestrian understanding of hope does not come close to what real biblical hope actually is. You see, when we say, I hope something, what we're really saying is, I have this wish, this um, wispy desire to see something come to pass. That is not what biblical hope is. Almost without exception, when you see the word hope in the Bible, it speaks to a confident expectation that God will come through on what he said he'd do. If I'm speaking biblically and I tell you that I have a hope of heaven, I am not saying to you that, well, I have this wispy hope that maybe I might make it. No. My hope is an expectant confidence that I am going to wake up in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of anything that I've done, but because of everything that he's done. If I don't make it to heaven, it'll be because God didn't come through. But I'm happy to report to you that God's word teaches us and experience teaches us that God never fails. He never comes up short. He never leaves anything lacking. He is perfect in every respect, and you can trust him. You can place an expectant confidence in God that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And we would understand that the world is in desperate, desperate need of this kind of hope. But you know what else? Christians are in desperate need of this kind of hope. I have known a lot of Christians, and I have been a Christian that found myself in a hopeless condition. I lived as though God were dead. I lived as though there was no answers. I lived as though there was 
no hope. And maybe there's somebody here today in this room, maybe there's somebody watching online that you find yourself in a hopeless place. Well, the message this morning I I trust will help you. I want to speak to you on the doctrine of hope. The doctrine of hope. Father, would you please help us today to get what we need, that we might be for you what you expect us to be. That may mean somebody needs to be saved. It may mean somebody needs to be encouraged. It may mean somebody needs to be convicted and get things right and repentant. Maybe somebody needs some kind of answer. I don't know, God. But I know you're the only answer. So, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you help us? And would you build in us that hope we so desperately need. And may Jesus be lifted up today. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. I just want to look at three things this morning. Three things. First of all, the property of hope. Now, what do I mean by property? Well, if you're going to build something, you, you need to have property, don't you? You've got to have somewhere to build it. The property of hope. So if you were looking for hope, where hope has been built, where would you find hope? Does hope have an address? It does. It does. It's on a very specific property. Verse number one. Therefore, being justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Upon what property is real hope built? It is built upon the faith and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only property upon which you will find real hope. Faith and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. No other foundation is secure enough for real hope to be built upon it. Mr. Obama spent eight years talking about hope, and yet we find ourselves still hopeless. Mr. Trump worked for four years to build something. We find ourselves without hope. Mr. Biden, for the last several years, and some would hope into the next four. What do we find? Presidents come and go. Congresses come and go. Supreme Courts come and go. And yet we find ourselves still in need of hope. Why? Because you can't build hope on a man. You can't build hope on an ideal. Well, I have hope because I'm a conservative. I have hope because I'm a liberal. I have hope because I'm a moderate. I have hope because I'm an environmentalist. I have hope because of this, and I have hope. Listen, I'm not saying that there aren't good aspects of some of those positions, but they are no foundation suitable for hope. I got news for you. Conservatives can be wrong, and liberals can be wrong, 
and environmentalists can be wrong. Here's one. I'm going to get in trouble. Baptists can be wrong. If you've put your hope on your denomination, friend, guess what? That's not strong enough to hold up hope. It's not. An experience. Well, my hope is based on what I have felt and what I have experienced. Oh, friend, then your hope will crumble. My hope is built upon my friends. My hope is built upon my family. I got news for you. Friends and family can fail you. They will crumble underneath the weight of hope. It's not built on a philosophy. So where then must hope be built? It's just like the songwriter said. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I don't understand why my hope doesn't last, Andy. First thing you got to look is what property are you on? Because if you're on the property of philosophy, if you're on the property of your friends, if you're on the property of a personality, if you're on the property of, 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 of your own understanding, if you're on the property of your experience, if you're on the property of an ideal, if you're on any other property than faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, then whatever hope you think you have will, not might, not could, not should, it will crumble. So if you want to have real hope, the very first thing you do is get to the right property. Now, we like this one, but we tend to not like the second one. If you want real hope, you've got to get to the right property. But I'll tell you what else you need. You need to be prepared to undergo a process. Boy... We don't like processes, do we? And I was thinking on this this morning. What is it we don't like about processes? Sometimes it's the timing. Because wouldn't we like for things to happen like that? I... I really had something in my head that thought when I finally announced plans for the Family Life Center that it would just miraculously, the money starts rolling in. Man, I mean, somebody get a shovel. The hundreds are everywhere. That was 2020. And COVID said, nope. I don't like the process. Sometimes it's not about the timing, though. Sometimes it's about the work. I would be as thin as a rail if it didn't involve the exertion of exercise. I don't like the process. But you know what I think is fundamentally the biggest issue with buying into a process. Tony, I'm going to give this to you. You feel free to use it. You don't even have to quote me, okay? Because it probably came from somewhere else. 
biggest issue with process and why we struggle with it is because we have to admit, when we enter into a process, we have to admit that it was put together by somebody who knows something we don't. When I worked for Behringer Engelhein Chemicals, I made drugs. I have to be very clear when I say what I used to do because I used to be in the drug business. <laughs> I ran one and sometimes two at a time reactors. Boy, that scares you, doesn't it? And I made drugs like guaifenesin. If you're familiar with guaifenesin, you know that that's what's in Mucinex. Never had a cold the whole time I worked for Beringer Engelheim. You know what they would do? They would hand us a formula. They would hand us a recipe, and we were to do that on those reactors. We were to program in those, those parameters and let the machines do their work. We did not come up with the formulas. We did not come up with the process. We trusted that somebody else who knew better than us put that together and that it would work. Well, duh, of course you did. That's how it works. Then why is it that we can't bring ourselves to believe that God may know some things that we don't and we have to just trust him to know how, how things are going to come out and just follow his process? Hey, young people, let me tell you something. Sometimes your parents know things that you don't know and you've just got to trust the process. Sometimes your coach knows things that you don't know and you've got to trust the process. Sometimes the teacher knows something that you don't know and if that's not the case, then what in the world are they doing as the teacher and you doing as the student? If Sometimes the teacher knows something that you don't know and you've got to trust the process. Sometimes God puts people in your life that knows things that you don't know and you've got to trust the process. Can I tell you something? We buck against that because then we have to admit that we are limited in our understanding. We don't know everything and we're dependent on somebody else. That's why we don't like process. And sometimes I have to get on my face before God and admit what is already evidently true. God, I have no idea how to accomplish what we're trying to do. I have no idea how to get from point A to point B. I don't have any idea. All I can do is believe that your process works. But where would we be if we would just in humility submit to the processes of the word of God. What is that process that leads to hope? I'm going to give it to you. It begins, first of all, with a decision. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> it says, in verse number 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. We glory. Here's something interesting. The word glory in verse 3 is the same Greek word as one that's found in verse 2. So let's go back. Verse number 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice. 
So you could just as easily there say, we rejoice in tribulation. What do we know about rejoicing? What do we know about joy? Joy is a decision. I don't decide whether or not to be happy. That is completely contingent upon my circumstances, the happenings of my life. But I decide whether or not to have joy. I've used this example before when my grandmother, Harriet Moore, many of you have met her, when she passed away. There was nothing happy about that. In all candor, because she was suffering so badly, there was a certain degree of relief, and that's okay. But there was no happiness. But I'll tell you what there was. There was joy. That decisive confidence in God and peace amidst a bad circumstance. Why? Because we knew where she is, and we knew that we'll see her again. We chose joy. And if you want to have hope in your life, it begins with you deciding you want to have hope. Well, well, duh, Andy. Well, if that's so apparent, and if that's so elementary, then why are there so many Christians out there that it seems as though they would much rather be miserable than be joyful? They are not happy unless they are mad. They have some kind of martyr complex. I'm not, I'm not discounting people that have been through tough times. That's not what I'm talking about. But you know as well as I do, there's a whole lot of Christians out there. And if you can't think of anybody, <laughs> it's probably you. What's well, a beautiful day God's given us today, isn't it? And I hear it's going to rain tomorrow. We choose it. And if you don't choose to have hope, you're never going to have it. Because biblical hope is a choice. And then you know what, you know what else it takes in this process? First of all, you've got to decide you want it. And here's the next step in the process. You're going to get a burden. Oh, but I got saved to get rid of all my burdens. <laughs> no. In fact, the opposite is true. When you got saved, your burdens got multiplied. Now, not in eternity, but for now. You see, God didn't relieve you of all your burdens. He gave you somebody to help you bear them. See? I don't want, I don't want my burdens. I don't either. And I don't know of any idiot that does. Burdens are part of it. Look at what it says. We're still in verse number three. We glory in what? Tribulations. We all face trials and tribulations. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 4, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we, would, we should suffer tribulation, and even as it came to pass, as you know. What, what have we been saying ever since we got serious about pursuing revival and getting these cottage prayer meetings going and seeking God's face and repenting about it? What did we say would happen? There'd be problems. Guess what? There's problems. I call up some preacher friend of mine. You know, just so you don't know what's going on. It's just so tough, and I'm just, I just, I just need to go sell insurance. I just, I'm just so burdened, and I got so. And if they're wise, you know what they'll say to me? What in the world do you think would happen? <laughs> Are you exempt? Yep. Go ahead. No. 
doesn't minimize the burden, but it helps to know it's coming. And if you want hope, you can't have hope without burdens. Because what do burdens do? They strengthen you. I've been going to the gym every day for a year, and I'm no stronger. Okay. How much weight are you putting on the, on the machine? Oh, I don't put any weight on it. I just lift the bar. Now, granted, that's what, 45 pounds? I mean, there's at least that. But you're not going to get any stronger. I don't understand why I'm not stronger as a Christian. Well, if you're not bearing the burdens that God gave you rightly, then you're not going to get stronger. You can't get stronger without resistance. You can't get stronger without burdens. So it's fun. This process is fun, isn't it? I make a decision that I want hope, and then I expect the burdens. And then what comes next? Endurance. We're still in verse 3. We glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh what? Patience. I don't know of anyone that possesses an inherent desire to learn patience. Somebody just yesterday made a remark about how wonderful our DMV is because you never have to wait. They don't realize they've called down judgment upon their lives. They will wait every time they go in the DMV from now on. Why? Because God's going to teach them patience. I don't like patience. But patience here doesn't just mean... It means... Endurance, but it doesn't just mean endurance, friend. It means cheerful endurance. (laughs) Easy preaching. Hard living. Cheerful endurance. The more burdens we bear, the more God empowers us to bear more. Have you ever known a Christian that, that it seemed like every little thing that came into their lives, they just fell apart? Have you ever known a Christian that you know good and well? They're burdened down with all kinds of things. And yet, to be with them is an encouragement. They have such faith. How does that happen? Those burdens have strengthened them. And now they have endurance. You see... I have to learn to carry those burdens because one day I may be called upon to carry you. You may be called upon to carry me. All parents carry their kids, their grandkids. How do we get strong enough to bear up and endure those, those tough times? Patience. Burdens, rightly handled. Oh, this process is fun, isn't it? It begins with a decision, and then you accept your burdens. And then you get endurance. And do you know what endurance produces? Belief. We're in verse number four. 
Tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience. Experience. Now, what does experience mean? It doesn't just mean you've lived through something. Yeah, I've experienced that. It means you've emerged stronger in faith and more apparent in your strength. It means when you come out of that trial, when you have endured that trial patiently, and you come out on the other side, you have grown in your faith, but also others can look at you and say, there's a tried and true Christian that God has brought through that fire, and they're stronger for it, and they're encouraged by that. Now, what does, what does all of that do? What does all of that do? When, when you begin by making a decision, you take on your burden, you build endurance, and it results in belief in you and in others. What happens? Well, let's read it again. Verse number three. Well, verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in what? Hope in the glory of God. So what are we starting with? Hope. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations and knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience what? Hope. It all begins and ends with hope. That's the process of hope. So if you need hope in your life, Honest to goodness, biblical hope, it begins by being on the right property, and then you're willing to go through the process, and then and only then do you enjoy the product. What, how do I know I have biblical hope? hope? What does it produce in me? You know what it produces first? It produces calm. Verse 5, and hope maketh not ashamed. That word ashamed means to blush because you are confounded. You ever been confounded? The first time I tried to explain football to my sister, she was confounded. <laughs> to this day, I don't think she knows what second and 13 means. What does it mean? It means second down, 13 yards to go to first. Well, it's only 10 yards for a first down. I know. But they lost three yards. How did you lose three yards? Well, they went behind the line of script. Oh, forget it. She was confounded. She was confounded. Have you ever found yourself in life? You just didn't understand something that was going on. And no matter how many times the Bible explained it or the preacher explained it or the Christian friend, you just, you just were blushed with, with, with being completely just cattywampus about the whole thing. You, were, you know what it says? When you have biblical hope, you never do that. It doesn't mean you understand everything, but it doesn't throw you for a loop. Okay, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm not going to panic. I'm going to remain calm. I'm going to remain calm. There's a peace that comes from this process. You know what else? Second product of hope, there's calm. There's also cheer. Cheer. You feel better about things. We're still in verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed because of the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. 
shed abroad. I've always understood shed abroad to mean poured, and in many cases that is what it means, but I looked it up. By the way, you can find this in your Vines Expository Dictionary. (laughs) Do you know what else it means? Gushed. Which do you think is the better understanding when we're talking about the love of God being shed abroad in your hearts? Does he just pour it, or is it gushing? You tell me. When you have this hope, your awareness of God's love, it is just pouring out of you. You just, you just sense it. You just know it's there. In fact, a good way to illustrate this would be what Jesus himself said. John 10.10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We're not talking about money necessarily. We're not talking about riches and fame and fortune and accomplishment. I'll tell you what we are talking about. We're talking about that sure and certain understanding that God loves me and that I can never go beyond his love. And it's wonderful. You've heard the story of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, I don't, here's the thing. Theologically, I believe you get 100% of the Holy Ghost when you get saved. I don't think you get what's called a second blessing, okay? I think something happens, but it's not that you get more of the Holy Ghost. It's that the Holy Ghost gets more of you, okay? But there were two ladies that were praying for Mr. Moody, and they were of the holiness tradition, and they were praying. And by the way, if you, if you put a gun to my head and say, you've got to go one way or the other, holiness tradition or dead, cold stuff, I'm going, holy, I'm going holiness all the way, Okay? Man, it's hot in here, y'all. D.L. Moody had these two ladies praying for him that he would receive what they called the second blessing. By the way, you can pray for something using the wrong terminology, and God will still honor that prayer because you want the right thing. Okay, God, God's a big enough God. He can see through our weird speech sometimes. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and D.L. Moody was walking down the street, and it just hit him. It just hit him. Just something came upon him. And we Baptists, we're so scared of experience and feelings. Listen, if it, if it lines up with the word of God, have at it and enjoy it. You know? Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I just, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm a good Baptist. No, just enjoy what God has for you. And if it doesn't line up with Scripture, then figure that out. All right? Goodness, we made ourselves so cold and dead. He happened to be at the home of a friend of his, and he came in, and he said, my brother, do you have a spare room I can use for a minute? And he says, of course, Mr. Moody. And he goes upstairs to that spare room, and here's what he cried out. Oh, God, stay your hand of blessing ere I die. Your love is so apparent to me. It is so overwhelming to me. I think it's going to kill me. You ever had a moment like that? Here's the thing. You should. If we don't, that's abnormal because normal Christianity means we get overwhelmed with a God who has shed abroad, has gushed out his love upon our hearts through the Holy Ghost of God. We've gotten so scared of the Holy Ghost because we don't want to be called Pentecostal that we've relegated him to some spooky thing over here that we only need when we want revival. 
I'm telling you, if you're saved today, the Holy Ghost lives in you and wants to take control of you and wants to do something great in you, and he wants to just gush out God's love everywhere. Have at it! Enjoy it! Because that's what he means for us. And if you have biblical hope, let me tell you what it's going to do. It's going to bring some cheer. It's going to make you happy. It's going to magnify that joy. The product of hope is calm, cheer, and then lastly, confidence. Oops. Confidence. <clears throat> I once had a dear man say to me, remember I've pastored two churches. Pastor, I'm really trying to get myself away from saying, can I be honest with you? Because it almost implies that sometimes I'm not. Well, there was no question he was being honest with me when he said this. I have absolutely no confidence in your leadership as pastor. Dear man, I can truly stand here and tell you I love him. As far as I know, he's still with us. Not with us in this church. I'm going to be like, no, still on the earth. Man, we couldn't agree on anything. And it was just, it was just something the Holy Spirit gave me in that moment. Because I, generally, I, I go to the flesh in times like that. And you do too. Well, I'll have you know. You know. But something just come over me, and I just sighed. I said, brother, we just found something we agree on. What? I don't have any confidence in me either. If you can say of me that I am stuck on myself and believe I know all the answers and have everything figured out, one of two things is true. You either really, really don't understand me or you're just flat out lying. Because, again, I stand here to tell you what I've told you all along. The more I do this, the less I know how to do it. And sometimes I have no idea what to do. And I don't have any confidence in my leadership. I don't. And if the day ever comes that I do have confidence in my leadership, you better hope I resign. Because if I start having confidence in me, guess what? We're in for a world of trouble. That's not where my confidence is. My confidence cannot be found in anything I do or anything I am. Where is my confidence found? Verse 6. You'll forgive me if I change a couple of words that don't do injury to the Scripture. Here's where my confidence is found. For when I was yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward me, and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Where is my confidence found that Jesus loved me enough 
to take my sin upon himself and die for me and take the whole matter of my salvation and responsibility thereof and put it on himself. That's where my confidence is. My confidence as pastor is only found in that the virgin-born, died, buried, and rose again Savior called me to do this job and said, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. That's my confidence. It is found in resting in what Christ did for us when we deserved nothing but hell. And if you keep reading in Romans, the rest of Paul's discussion in this section centers on the assurance that comes with being eternally secure in Christ. You couldn't lose it if you tried. That's where my confidence is. How do I know I'm going to heaven? (laughs) I have moments in my life where I doubt my salvation. I have moments in my life where I wonder if I've ever got anything right. I have moments in my life where I'm convinced God's done with me. I have moments in my life where I see everything in the mirror without the benefit of the lens of Christ, and it makes me despondent. So how do you know you're going to heaven? If you'll forgive me, barring from Alistair Begg, the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's how I know. It's not my feelings. It's not my spiritual performance for that given week. I'm going because Jesus said, if you'll believe on me, I'll save you. What in the world makes me get up every morning and try to pretend like I'm some kind of leader in this place? I'll tell you what, it's that God said, I want you to preach for me. I want you to be a pastor, and I want you to go to this place and do it, and I'll empower you to do what you need to do. That's where my confidence lies. So what? Would you go over to Romans 12? Verse number 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring, and honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now watch this. Rejoicing in what? Hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Hope is integral to a victorious Christian experience. You are not living a victorious Christian life if you don't have hope. I'm talking about biblical hope. Well, I don't have it, Andy. How do I get it? Well, First of all, let's... Start with the property, because if your hope in general is built on anything but Jesus Christ, it may very well be that you need to get saved today. If your hope of heaven is built on your works or your denomination or how much money you've put in an offering plate, then you've misplaced your hope. It's on the wrong property. Friend, I'm telling you, if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation, you're lost and you're undone and you're on your way to hell. That's the truth. But I've got good news for you. That can be fixed today. Amen. 
If you will understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died in your place, taking your sins upon himself, was buried and on the third day rose again, you put your faith in him, you'll be saved. That's what the Bible says. You'll be saved. Well, what does believe mean, Andy? I mean, do I have to have this complete and unwavering faith? No. The strength of your faith doesn't matter. It's taking what faith you have and putting it in Jesus. The object is what matters. Who matters? Put your faith in Jesus. I plead with you, if you've never trusted Christ, get your hope on the right property today. Then once you are saved, keep it there. It never changes. Our hope remains on the property of faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then, don't resist the process. Don't resist the process. Make that decision, bear that burden, build that endurance, and enjoy that belief. And then, you start with the the product. Are you hopeless today? You don't need to be. You don't need to be.